1: Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. Today, we're going to talk about the story of one person's business journey. Well, actually, the story of one person's life journey. And the theme you're going to hear about today is the power of mentors, the power of people who reach out, who touch, who help. I think it's going to be inspirational in a whole host of ways. And I think if you're thinking about how do you mentor, you're going to figure out a lot of insights on what makes a difference and how to be a better mentor. So without any further introductions, my guest today is Glenn Stearns. Glenn started in a very unusual life pattern, which we're going to hear an awful lot about it, but let me just say he failed fourth grade as a tiny teaser for what went on and has gone on to create several very successful businesses, including Stern's Lending LLC that was bought out by Blackstone and then dismantled by Blackstone as well, and then goes on to create yet another company called Kind Learning. Lending, excuse me, and on we go. Highly successful, doing some amazing things in the business world. Honored as Ernst & Young Prestigious Entrepreneur of the Year Award, loaned over $30 in loans, even in the height of some of the crises in the U.S., and a lot to say for himself, given that he started out with Failing Fourth
2: Grade, and that's just a teaser. Glenn, welcome to the show. Hi, Wanda. How are you? I'm I'm great today. Starting out with failing fourth grade. (laughs) Nowhere (laughs) to go but up. (laughs) That's one way to look at it, for sure. And I didn't
1: mention that you have a lovely book called Integrity, which I got stuck into last night and could not put down. So an inspiring story for sure. But Glenn... You've done. You've launched businesses. I mentioned two. You've launched a couple of others. You've been highly successful in every matter we could think about as a businessman. Why did you want to write a book? And why this story?
2: Well, you know, I actually I didn't want to write a book. I'll be real honest. I I kept thinking that um, if I started believing my own BS, then you know I was going to be in trouble. So I kept pushing it off, pushing it off but i I did a television show a couple of years ago, and um you know that was kind of fell in my lap. I ended up doing it, and the response uh that I received from people about being inspired about hard work and grit and really you know just taking chances it it really made me think wow well maybe maybe I could make a difference, and maybe some of the things that I'd run into as a young person and as a business owner, if it can help some people, then why not? You know? And so, um, so I definitely put it all out there, uh, lead with my flaws, so to speak. And, um, yeah, I'm real proud of the book. So. It should be proud of the book. If you had to summarize your message
1: and two or three lines, that's terribly unfair for somebody who's just written a book, but what's
2: your core message to people? Um, Anything is possible if you put your mind to it and you surround yourself with the balcony people and not the basement people. That you can accomplish just about any goal and dream that you have. Um, real simple, you know. It's, uh, you know, we all I think have had these gla- these ceilings where we think you know it could never go any higher, we couldn't do any better, and uh, it's amazing what can happen when you really uh, do things the right way. And you put the right team around you, you can do anything.
1: Okay, the right team. I'm gonna go back to that theme in a minute. Um, You want to hit your successes just as you kind of highlight them. So you did a great job with founding Sterns Lending, sold it,
2: and what else? Um, I've been lucky in business, as but luck's wrong word. I've worked my tail off, but I was the largest HUD contractor in the country doing title and settlement work i was had a company that was an auditor uh we were the largest auditor for hud and another company um had multiple other ancillary businesses in real estate um own a bank uh and then uh real proud of a animal pharmaceutical company that we we have right now that's going really well um so fingers in a lot of different things but kind lending uh today is Something I'm really proud of. We've we've uh we've been able to help and change a lot of the residential landscape out there. So
1: yeah. Um, and the story of the creating it and the timing of creating it just prior to the pandemic and going back to an old team and watching a business dissolve without your there's a lot in that story that's a really powerful one. Okay, so all of that is to set him up as highly successful, Glenn, as somebody that we we should pay attention to for somebody who's achieved all of that. I want to go back to get the beginning of the book, which is, as you said, tell all of your flaws. Now, I teased with you failed fourth grade, but I should add to that that you had alcoholic parents. You were diagnosed at a very early age as dyslexic and you fathered a child at
2: 14. All true. And, uh, you know, you don't know what you don't know, right? Growing up, we're just surrounded by our environment and it is what it is. So, it was uh, a normal world for me, but I, um, you know, a- after I was old enough to kind of break away into, well, into high school, let's say, I started to realize that, you know, maybe being on the other side of the tracks was a small disadvantage. And uh, I wanted to be on the other side. I wanted to, you know, do things a little differently. and And I, you know, was very fortunate that with all of this negative, uh, pressure, I guess. And, and it wasn't bad. It's not, I wasn't a victim. It's just, you know, again, I had parents that did the best they could, but, uh, you know, they were very, um, you know, just humble, you know, working class people that, that tried the best they could. Um, but I didn't have a lot of guardrails or mentors and, but every now and then, When I was uh, young, someone would sit down with me in the middle of my chaos and say, you know, there's something about you. You know, you're going to be a leader one day. And I remember being embarrassed. I was stop, you know. But then I thought, I don't want to let that person down. And those little seeds that get planted like that can blossom into, you know, just amazing opportunities. And so uh, I really credit a few individuals for just – Just planting a small seed that they probably didn't think much of, but um, I learned now it's so powerful when, you know, when uh, when an adult can tell a young person the potential that they have.
1: So set the stage for me. You said chaos in your life and you're being very generous to your parents. I mean... I can recognize some of those elements also in my own life. And, you know, yeah, you survive it, you get past it, it made you who you are. So this isn't to go back and say blame in any way or to feel like a victim. But it was a pretty chaotic life.
2: Yeah, it was. And, and and you know, again, to your point, um, we can choose to be a victim or the victor, as they say, right? Like, where do you want to put your energy and what i realized was that i couldn't do anything about the past i can't focus on any of that i can change my today and tomorrow by who i surround myself with and what my my goals become and so and it wasn't quick and i and i tell and I, a big part of the book and the reason i again i write and expose all those flaws is because i want people to know if they're in a situation where they think I don't have any money, or I grew up on the wrong side of the track, whatever that is, that's they're causing themselves to say, "I'm not even going to try." That you gotta, you gotta get rid of all that negative thoughts and talk, and and you just gotta push forward. And so, you know, I look at, you know, my life, and I try to, uh, you know, when I when I reread my own book, I go, "Wow, was I a screw up?" you know, in that beginning, uh, 25 years of my life. But, um, but it's more about getting other people to realize, you know, that it doesn't take some uber smart person that they, you know, that, that it's, you know, I'm no different than anyone else. And, um, that's the key. I hope that, that people can realize their own potential, you know?
1: So I like this idea that you choose, whether you're going to be the victim or the victor, regardless how much stuff is dumped on your life or how little you have, quote, going for you in the first decade or two, or how much mess you create on your own doing in the first decade or two, that you have a choice about being the victim or victor. So let's dig into some of the mentoring stories Tell us about that first moment when someone says something that's encouraging to you, what do they say? What happened? What's
2: the backdrop and what was the impact? I remember it like it was yesterday. Uh, I'm 14 years old. I have gotten a girl pregnant. I'm in eighth grade. I'm at the roller skating rink. Okay. Imagine that 1978. That was the cool thing back then. And um, the manager of the roller rink that I I looked up to uh, at the time had uh, pulled me into you know the the back area um, and said I want to talk to you. And I was in the middle of shock. Right? It's it's not cool to be 14 and get a girl pregnant. You think you know? Oh, you might no. It's it's embarrassing. You think you've let down you know everyone. You're and you know, I didn't know what to think. I didn't know how to act. And people are laughing. At me and it was it was a tough time. Um, uh, and for the the young the young girl as well. You know, I mean, we were both having a tough time. And this gentleman puts me uh, back and he sits me down. And he says, I want you to know something. He said, you have something special in you and you are going to be a leader one day. And I want you to know that all this that's happening is just going to toughen you up and you're going to be able to get through this and one day you're going to do really well so please just concentrate on the fact that this will pass and you will be fine and just that little tiny conversation you know i thought why is he saying this to me you know i'm i'm not i'm not capable and i'm not and i'm not able to do that i'm not i'm not in a position to be a leader and i I don't, you know, all those things are in your head. Why would he say this? But again, the other part of me went, I don't want to let him down. You know, I want to prove him right. And so it was a wonderful, when I look back, wonderful conversation.
1: So why do you think he said that, looking back as an adult?
2: Well, I hope that he did see the potential in me. But I do know that I was a pretty positive child growing up i'd always looked at things um half full but when that happened i went into a pretty deep depression you know and um, i'll tell you another story that probably i shouldn't tell and it get me in trouble it it is in the book but um it was exactly that same time i was shocked at my life and my eighth grade teacher uh they they told me I, i had detention come in you have detention I'm in trouble again. Here I go. And uh, there were two of them. And they, um, they had me come in on a Saturday for detention. And I went in. And usually there's the you know the same five or six kids that get in trouble. And no one was there. It was just me and these two teachers. And uh, they said, okay, let's go. They took me to Shakey's Pizza. Today, they'd probably go to jail for this. But they bought a pitcher of beer, poured me a beer, and said, son, you're now a man you're gonna get over this, everything's gonna be okay. And I tell you, again, maybe people look at it wrong or whatever, but for me at that time, it was acceptance, it was people saying, you're gonna be okay, it was the right thing at the time. Not about drinking alcohol, but about being a man and stand up and do the right thing. And so these, these people that came out of the woodwork, uh, you know, I was just, I look back and I'm so grateful for these opportunities again, it probably wouldn't be the right thing to do today, but it definitely was for me at the time.
1: We get the sentiment, and drinking age was also a little bit different in nineteen seventy eight than our seventies than it is today. But still, yeah. the sentiment of taking you to a setting up a situation, taking to a place, you know, treating you like an adult rather than
2: like a victim,
1: and saying you're going to be okay.
2: Right. Yeah, it was one of the most impactful moments of my life. Right. I can imagine.
1: So coming out of that, do you start feeling this sort of more confidence in yourself, more uplift? I mean, did that happen immediately or did it take a while?
2: It absolutely was the, the frog in the, you know, in the, um, boiling pot, right. It was a very slow kind of awakening for me. And, um, you know I don't know anyone if there are people out there more power to them that can wake up one day and the world changes for them when you don't have a lot of um, infrastructure in your life and when people and again my not 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 to knock my parents, but they weren't uh equipped probably to do and put me on a path you know they didn't care if I went to college, they never asked me to go to college. You know, they didn't demand it, none of that, right? They were working class people and and um so I maintain I, I actually I probably got worse at fifteen and sixteen and seventeen by burying these feelings and and um and then when I decided to go to, to college, I kinda of broke away from that traditional same thing that everyone in my family had done. I was the first to go to college and I still maintained um somewhat of a delinquent, you know, path, I guess. And uh, I was, I'd started a fraternity and one of the old grand poobah guys that kind of came over from the University of Maryland, he happened to be the vice chancellor. He um, was talking to our group and he says, let's talk about people we admire and why. He goes, I'll go first. I admire Glenn and let me tell you why. And he said that in front of my peers. And again, I'm embarrassed. Oh, stop. But really deep down, I'm like, wow, I wonder why he said me. And, you know, I was working full time. I was going to college, paying for my own way. You know, I wasn't doing very well. I just got a 2.1 grade point. So it wasn't like I was a stellar student. But why did this man say he believed in me? And it again planted a seed that I thought, I got to prove this man right. And again, it's not much, you know, you think to be a mentor, you got to spend hours every day with people. No, sometimes you just have to say you believe in them. That's enough.
1: It's interesting. We often think that mentors give you the secret sauce, you know, the secret recipe, the clue to how to go get that great job. And we often talk about sponsors who sort of put you in that right position that sort of catapults your career forward. I get frustrated with that sentiment because it's very much I need a knight in shining arbor to come along and rescue me, which means I'm feeling like a victim already. Mm -hmm. What you're highlighting is someone who just says, I believe in you. I see more in you than you can see in yourself. And I have to tell you, Glenn, that when I ask people who inspires them and why they're inspired, it's exactly that sentiment. That's
2: right. That you see more in me than I can see in myself could not agree more. I also will tell you, I've been very blessed to be able to give back to a lot of young people and um, many, you know, very um, appreciative. And every now and then, someone will come along and they'll want to talk and talk and they'll do this for a while and then they'll say, so, can I borrow some money? And I say, look, I've enjoyed this relationship and I'll continue to, but do you want to look at me as a mentor or a bank? Cause you gotta, there's a difference. And, and, um, you know, when I grew up through this, when I got older, I had a couple of very, I ended up then purposefully, I picked mentors and I went after them with intensity to surround myself with them. And, and I didn't want money I didn't want, you know, to anything other than can I rub against you? Can I sit at lunch? Can I listen to how you live your life? And it wasn't the richest people in the world. By the way, mo- many of them were very wealthy. It was though that they had this respect in their community. They were happy people. These were the things that, that to me defined success, right? It wasn't just that they were the, the richest people, but how come you got to the top? And people respect you and people believe in you and you've done well and you give back. Wow, I want to be like that. So can I just go to lunch with you and things like that? And I'll never forget one time, um, 2007 and eight, when the financial crisis hit and we were deeply in trouble as a company and two of my greatest mentors, and they were both about 25, 30 years older than me. They said, um, "Look, we believe in you," and I was on my knees. I was ready to go under. I I, I didn't know how I was going to keep the lights on. They said, "We want to buy a half your company," and I was like, "Wow!" Like I would give anything to work alongside of you guys. And I said, "I love it." I said, "Okay, name your price," and I said, "Let me think about this." And I went about a week, two weeks, and they brought me back in again, and they said. You haven't come back to me. Name your price. I said, you guys don't understand. And they go, look, you don't understand. You'd be surprised at what we would pay because we believe in you. Name your price. And I finally, I turned to him. I said, look, I am desperate. I need this more than you'll ever know. Also, this relationship is worth more to me than any money could ever buy. I can't do it. I want to, but I won't do it. Because I care about this relationship so much. And we were great friends to this day. I'm so close to both these men. And they're both in their 80s and, and wonderful, wonderful people. But um, we ended up, I figured it out, pulled myself out of it, became the number one lender and wholesale, the number two lender in the country. And they both were kicking me. I should have made you sell. And joking. They didn't need any money. They were helping me. You know what I mean? They were trying. And they did more. By just saying that, giving me the confidence that they believed in me, you know, I didn't want to go that other place because then you mess the difference between mentoring and, and banking, like I said. So, you know.
1: Okay. All right. So how long did it take you to really begin to get your life together? So you're in college, you got a 2.1 grade average. You still get people who are saying to you, I believe in you. Right. Right. So when did you
2: really get the, get your act together, so to speak? Okay, so I'm in a, a bar. It's I've just graduated. It's 1.30 in the morning. My friend has just gotten a beer thrown on him or he got slapped or something that I'm belly laughing at. How funny is this? Oh, my gosh. And in the middle of my biggest fog, I had my clearest thought. This is boring. I don't want to do this anymore. I did this last night and the night before and the night before. I have fallen into my dad pattern and my grandfather and my uncle. I don't want to do this anymore. And that was very clear to me. And that was a, a moment. I'm done. The next day I told my buddy I said, Hey, why don't we drive to California? We lived in Maryland. You want to go to California? I go, yeah, let's just go out there and see what it's like. I knew in the back of my head I probably wouldn't come at home. You know, and I drove out there with him, and a few days after we were sleeping, sleeping on the floor with five other guys in a one bedroom, um, I ended up knowing somebody else, lo- local, uh, a gal that I had she was my boss when I was a waiter in Maryland, she lived out there, and she let me sleep on a bed. And so the next morning, I found myself sitting on this bench overlooking the Pacific Ocean with all the wonderful cars and homes and beautiful people and you know i'm i'm from maryland and here i am going wow like i want this life what is it so i saw this man in his yard and i said sir what did it take to get this house like i know i can do it what did it take tell me you know and he sits there he goes senor i'm the gardener <laughs> i think the man's in real estate I'm like real estate i'm gonna get into real estate i'm pumped you know and so uh I decided to stay and I got a job as a waiter again. And then uh, I started as a loan officer and I uh, just thought I'm going to do this, figure it out. Never look back.
1: Great. And have there always been people who've kind of helped
2: you along the way? You've, you've talked about the two mentors that you look up to. Um. Well, I've been, I guess I've been lucky to have people because I'm, I talk, you know, and I, and I ask a lot of questions and I think that's very important of young people is ask, just continue, ask, 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 don't be shy. And I did that. So a lot of people believed in me, but I think what was most important is kind of what the title of your podcast, I mean, out of your comfort zone, right? It is getting, stepping out and going, I'm going to make myself uncomfortable and I'm going to ask people that I don't know. Hey, can you, do you mind? Can we go to lunch or can we, you know, whatever, just get out of your comfort zone and then you're going to have this, this growth. That's the only way to grow is to make yourself uncomfortable. And so I started to get into a pattern like that. And to take you backwards for a second, when I was very young, my dad might've drank too much or whatever. My mom wanted us out of the house and she would say, let's go kids. We're going to get lost. And so we would get in the car and we drive forever and she'd pull over at a farm and go, Oh no, guess what? And we go, we're lost. And then it was so fun to find our way home, you know, just go left, go down here. And um, so what I realized, I was wired early on is being lost. Wasn't so wasn't scary. It was exciting. There's a big difference. Right. And so, you know, and I think that uh, that can help with a lot of different ways of thinking You can have an abundant mindset or a scarcity mindset, right? You can feel afraid of what's around the corner or excited. And those are the things that you got to push yourself in order to break free and break through so that you you can have growth. Okay.
1: All right. I want to go one more piece back on the mentor, and then I'm going to talk about the mindset because I think the hardest part of all of this is to pick your own mindset up. So granted, mentors help you because they give you some clues and they have some faith in you these two older gentlemen who come, who are now older, who come to you and say, we want to buy half your company.
2: How did you build the relationship with them? Where did that start? Great question. So I was in California now and I start seeing all the philanthropic events and the people that had the name on the colleges and all these people that had gone into the community and were doing really well. And there was a few names that just stood out all the time. And I thought I and, and people always held them in a high regard. And I said, I want to get to know these people. So I would go to the charity events. Hey, how you doing? You know, I might be in table number 400 in the back and they're in table one. But, you know, I would work my way up there. Hey, how you doing? And just want to meet them. And I kept running into them. Hey, I don't know if you remember me. You know, and and just trying to get into those circles, and then once I got in, by again just asking for lunch and just asking them questions, um, you know, it became pretty easy to easy is the wrong word, but uh, they began to ask me to go. Hey, do you want to go with us to this event, or do you want to go here? And I go absolutely. In two thousand and seven, when the world was upside down falling apart, they asked me to go to Europe on a hunt with uh, you know where you dress in a tie and all this. It's a real formal event for pheasant or something, and I could not go. My company was crumbling. there was no way, and I thought also, there is no way I can say no, and I figured out how to get there and just keep rubbing elbows, you know and it was then that we developed friendships, you know, and that grew into, you know, wonderful, wonderful lasting friendships.
1: I coach so many people whose careers inside their own companies are dependent on being known, having their work known, getting the right kind of advice, getting the right kind of opportunities. And they're so afraid to reach out to just chat. Now, granted, these people live on umpteenth floor And that um, umpteen floor is often locked and hard to get onto, you know, so it's not an easy, I'll give you, it's not an easy task. And some of these individuals don't make it very easy. So what's your pep talk to people who are trying to build their network, trying to find those mentors and are are feeling frustrated because they don't know how?
2: Well, again, the the, the simple one word answer is ask and ask. And when, but, but to your point, if they're locked in the ivory tower up there. How do you get there? And there are many different ways they're involved in different, uh, you know, clubs. They're involved in different philanthropic events. They're involved in lots of different places. Cause they're active people. Usually that's how they get so well known and, and all that. And it's just, again, it's, but by the way, and it's not about using an individual. There's, you know, what i found is the more you give, the more you get. So it's about finding a way to say, Hey, You know, we are um, holding an event and we would love to honor you, you know, or whatever. Right. You know, I have got a, a group of college kids that I talk to. I would love to interview in front of them. You know, it's like, you know, there's a lot of ways, you know, would you mind if we sat down and and I do a mini podcast and I'd love to have you on that podcast, you know, just little things to get them so that they end up saying You know, yes, I'd love to share some of my information with you. And that's how you start to develop the relationship slowly, but but not trying to take, but trying to give, you know? Yeah.
1: I think what's interesting about this too, Glenn, that you've a bit undersold and I want to sell high. It's not so much about who you need for success. It's about who you're going to respect who you want to pattern your life after. I think if I quote you from earlier in this podcast. So, and those are the people most likely who are going to want to be around you too, and who care about making themselves available to people, I'm guessing, but it's choosing wisely.
2: You're absolutely right. Because again, I, I think I said earlier, there's, there's balcony people and basement people, and there's a lot of people, whether you have money or not that, are not positive in people's lives, right? And there's people that are very positive and you want to be around people that celebrate you and you want to celebrate them. And so I was asked yesterday, I was at a high school speaking to some students, you know, oh, what is it that you think makes a difference in uh, the people you surround yourself with? And I said, well, not only You have to find people that want to celebrate you, but you have to be just as good of a friend back. You have to celebrate them. You have to highlight them. And the more that you can give, hopefully they reciprocate. And if they don't, they might not be the right friends. So you got to find those people. And again, a lot of people that have had some success, um, depending on where they are in that, that journey, some people get it and see the responsibility and other people get big heads and they don't then those people maybe you know you may not want to spend that much time around but the ones that kind of get the the responsibility are the ones that think you want to be around
1: they want to be around and the ones that i love that they want to celebrate you and you want to celebrate them you're proud to be associated with you they lift you up and you lift them up um i said earlier we often talk about sponsors people who are there for you in a moment of crisis And who will make sure that you are well represented in the meetings and in the talent discussions where you're not there, can't be there. But what's little understood about that sponsor relationship is that it's a quid pro quo, meaning they're giving a lot to you, but they're expecting back from you as well. They expect to be able to call on you when they need you and get your help. And it's a give and take as opposed to just a take, 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 as you just said. I think those are the best relationships anyway, the ones worth celebrating in life for sure. All right, Glenn, this is a perfect moment to, to take a break. My guest today is Glenn Stearns. As you can see, he's written a lovely book called Integrity, and it's a fabulous, highly wonderful read, and you won't be able to put it down, I promise you. Glenn started from, shall we say, very humble means without an awful lot of belief in himself or an awful lot of belief of what was possible and surrounded himself by people who helped lift him up. We've been talking about some of those uh, mentors. When I come back, I want to talk about the shift in mindset that's required to begin to take advantage of these people you've surrounded yourself. We'll be right back.
0: Want to see what Voice America is up to behind the scenes? Follow us on TikTok at Voice America Talk Radio.
1: group and talk about career advancement and we have a master's level for people who want to take a deeper dive all on out of the we hope you'll join us
0: when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network you are listening to out of the comfort zone to reach dr wanda wallace or her guest call into the program at 1-866-472-5790 again that's 1-866-472-5790 you may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadership-forum.com now back to out of the comfort zone
1: Welcome back to the show. With me today is Glenn Stearns. Glenn has done a number of business ventures in his life, including Stearns Lending, and more recently Kind Lending, and a host of other ones. And more importantly, he's written a lovely book called Integrity, which is a story, in effect, of his life. And to say that there's a setback would be an understatement. There are multiple setbacks that are rather daunting to think about. We haven't even covered the surface on some of them. But even still, on each occasion, Glenn has been able to pick himself up and keep going. And as we just heard, a lot of the power of the seed were early in his life, people saying, in effect, I believe in you. I see something in you. And that just plants that seed that says, maybe it's possible. And then we talked about, you know, going and finding people who were admired in the community, doing great things, and that you want to just get to know and steadily, inch by inch by inch, working to build those relationships and keeping them a relationship not a business partner, which I think is an interesting um, analogy. Now, Glenn, I want to talk about mindset because we say you have to manage your mindset all the time. And that is so easily said and so difficult to do, especially when you feel like you're at rock bottom. So it helps that people say, I believe in you, but you're still in California without a job, sleeping on the floor. Okay. Maybe you managed to get a couch at somebody else's house or a bed at somebody else's house you're still a long way from where you want to be. How do you keep your, how do you pick your mindset up and stay positive?
2: Well, I mean, it's an absolute choice. I mean, in anything we do, and that's, that's the easy answer really. And what I mean by that is when I was younger, I didn't have um, much of a career going. I would go out and call on real estate offices and see if I could get a loan. And, it's a pretty brutal way to get into business because all you get to is shut down, shut down, shut down. And so it becomes kind of depressing. So what I would do is I'd get in my car, I would put on my cassette back then, a cassette tape of Phil Collins, I would the one I don't care anymore, and I would play that song as loud as I could and scream it down the Pacific Coast Highway and pump myself back up and go back in there again because... It wasn't that I got a lot of yeses. I got 99% no's, you know. I would go out in the field and I would say, I'm not going to eat until I get alone," And then I would be walking in, I am hungry for a loan. And I'd be laughing in my head going, oh, I'm really hungry, right? You know, and okay. so I had to make up little games to keep your mind in the, in the right frame. So it's absolutely a choice because it's real simple to become depressed or to say this isn't working or whatever you want to do to call it, you know, um, you know, a failure or whatever, but you have to stay positive, even trick your own self, you know. And by the way, Wanda, you said one thing earlier about people saying they believed in me and all this when I was little. You know, I remember two people ever when I was young saying that. I didn't have so the people out there, if they think, Hmm. I don't have a lot of people telling me I believe. It only took two people in my life. It was the rest weren't saying that, you know, there was, you know, so it's really about grabbing what you need for fuel, whether for your mindset, right? Well, people believe in me. Okay. It was two people in my entire life as a young kid, you know, the rest probably thought I was a screw up, you know, so I wasn't focusing on them. I was focusing on the, the ones that, that I wanted to focus on, which were the positive ones.
1: All right. So in business, you hit adversity. You've talked about, you know, the 2007 crisis and that was sinking your company. You've written about the Blackstone uh, deal and what happened in the Blackstone deal and the demise of the company as a result um, and a series of others. What's your secret to, uh, you know, like you hit the wall and you think there's no
2: deeper place to go? What what do you do? so. Um, for a second uh, regarding Blackstone um I went into the deal feeling that we were partners mm-hmm. now Blackstone utilized every piece on the board in order to make themselves um, profitable as they should that's what they do they're a private equity yeah. company and the best in the world right I didn't realize I was a A puzzle piece or a piece, chess piece. I thought I was a partner. Now that's my fault, not their fault. I don't blame them. They did what they should do. Their shareholders benefit and, and they didn't apologize. They didn't do anything wrong. But, um, so that means to me, the one thing I try to tell young people, take responsibility. Don't call them the evil empire or whatever, whoever they are. Right. You know, we got into this together. And I have to take responsibility for that. So I think that's um, an important aspect of, of what happened. Now, regarding my mindset when I'm at the bottom, great example, um, I was in a divorce. My mm-hmm. wife and I have been married seven years. I'll never forget the day I came home and I was in my little vestibule at my home and I just started crying. And I thought, I said, there's no... Farther down, I can go. This is the lowest of lows I am feeling right now as I'm bawling my eyes out. And the minute I said that in my head, I went, wow, I have nowhere to go but up. Like, what a (laughs) wonderful spot to be in. I am at the bottom. And now all I have is upside. And so, again, it's about taking your mind and going, okay, you know, I can't focus on the bottom. I can focus on the next steps are going to be getting myself out of that. Now, speaking of that um, um, situation, my ex-wife has become one of our dearest friends. She's the godmother to our children. She went around the world with us for a year and she taught our my wife and my little girls. And, um, you know, so so situations, we can't help sometimes what happens to us, but we can help what we do with that situation, you know, after it happens to us. And, um, and, and a lot of times we can help how we got there, but, but all we can do after something happens is do the best we can with it. And so I'm real proud of even that, you know, so.
1: Here's, um, as I've listened to the conversation, you said three things that, oh, four things that resonate with what I believe it takes to hit a really hard patch and keep going. And I want to just echo again, because I think they're really important. One, you said mindset is a choice. I can choose to be a victim. I can choose to be angry. I can choose to be whatever. It's a choice of how I'm going to deal with this. I think that's an important piece. The second, you said to stay positive, and that is grab into any tiny straw anybody throws out anywhere even if it's only two people in your childhood ever and hold on to it. So like find the positivity and hold on to it. And then you said, take responsibility because you had a piece in getting yourself here. So you went into this, it's not blaming everybody else, but you had something to say about it and then focus on where you not where the bottom is, not how bad it is, not how you got there, but what you're going to do next.
2: Exactly. Exactly. And My dad used to say, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. You know, and so it's that mindset, right? It's just what do you want to focus on? And, you know, I've had so many discussions with people and said, we can't do anything about the past. What are we going to do from right now forward? And you just have to stop putting your head into a place that won't get you anywhere, you know, and just think about the solutions and You know, a lot of times it's it's difficult, but it won't do us any good to focus on the past. So
1: Um, Brad Borkan, who's been a guest on here, has written several retrospective books looking at some amazing explorers in Antarctica, as well as some amazing things that, you know, building of the Panama Canal with Teddy Roosevelt and a series of other things that are, you know, everybody said was impossible. And many people would have died in the trying, especially some of the Antarctic. Yeah, right. Great. Oh. All of those, so if you look at every one of them, there was that same quality of, I'm not going to look at whatever happened in the past because it can't fix it. Whatever caused us to get there, I can't do anything about it, not dwelling on it. I'm only looking at what I'm going to do next. And if I look at some of the most on uh, senior level, very, very senior level CEOs that I admire a great deal, they have that same quality. I'm you know, here at this um,
2: moment. And what do I do going forward? There's a gentleman that, I had the honor to um send bring into a leadership gathering that I did uh on Necker Island uh with Richard Branson. It was called Surviving and Thriving His name is Joe Simpson. you might have heard of him and he um was in a they made a movie and a book i believe um uh, but I know the movie's called Touching the Void and he was left up he had a broken his leg up in the top of a mountain in the Andes if you know his story and um You know, as his partner would lower him down on a rope because he didn't want to give up on him, he ended up lowering him down and the tension never came off and he was stuck. So um, the partner had to cut the rope and sending the guy to his death. uh, As the partner waited three days at base camp before he could get himself up to, to leave, he said he was leaving. He turns around and there's his partner, Joe Simpson, crawling and he crawled out. And he's like, oh my, you know, he, he thought he was dead. And they asked what happened. And he says, I fell into the snow, broke through into a crevasse. He says, I couldn't go up because I couldn't crawl. So I crawled down. And he says, and then I would just sit and think, the only thing I want to do is get to that rock. And if I get to that rock, then I'll figure out what to do next. And when we got to that rock, he said, I'm just going to crawl to the next rock. He said, if I ever, if I thought about trying to climb down that mountain, I would have died. I just want to get to the next rock. You know, it's mm-hmm. a whole, you know, how do you eat an elephant? Right. You know, and, um, you know, it got him down that mountain. So. I
1: think we find that same story over and over again. You don't know where it's going to end. You don't know what the light of the tunnel is going to look like. All you know is I can get to the next rock or I can take this next step or I can do this thing now or I can ask this question now. That's it. That's all you got. And then you go to the next one and the next one and the next one. All right. My audience out there are people in middle levels of corporations struggling to say, what am I going to do with my career? Where am I going? We're not talking to college kids who are sort of just beginning. I'm talking about people in the middle of their career wondering, am I in the right place? Should I stay with this job? Should I do a different job? What's your advice to them?
2: Uh, Again, I I would ask. And what I mean by that is, I would look and say, what do I want to do? Right. And I, I love when people come to me and they say, look, I want to, I'm just telling you, I want to move up and I want to continue to see what I, I challenge myself. And you know, what does that mean? Well, what's the next job ahead? How can I keep moving up again? If you're maybe the receptionist, you probably shouldn't think, how am I going to be the CEO back to how do I get down the mountain? It's how do I move up to be the next level and then the next level and the next level? And if that's what you, if that's what you want to do or lead a team or whatever, think of what it takes to challenge yourself and to you know get out of your comfort zone, right? And as you do that, you'll grow. And I, a lot of us are, again, we're riddled with fear, of what if they say no? Okay. Mm -hmm. They say no for now. Why don't we ask again in three months? Maybe they'll say yes. Why don't we ask again? You know, and you keep, and at the same time, if they don't, there's no room for growth, but you still want to challenge yourself. Maybe you should look at somewhere else then, but you just, you know, if your company is a good company and you have a path to get somewhere, I sat and had dinner the other night with a gentleman that, um, uh started out in the back room of FedEx and he's the CEO now of FedEx right so um he did pretty good right but he didn't just become the the CEO that man took 25 years to work up the the corporate ladder and um so that's you know uh he had some ambition but you you can't be afraid to ask
1: um, yes, you can't be afraid to ask and to ask again and to ask again, but not with uh, I deserve, I would argue with not a I deserve mindset, or right. uh, what's wrong with you that you won't give me mindset. But right. with uh, what can I do to be a better candidate is always my way of staying that how am I going to make
2: myself stronger? You know, speaking of that, sorry, because you're absolutely right. You know, the, the key I think is, again, it's about always trying to give instead of get, right? So in give, meaning, you know what? I was looking in my division and I realized here's a few ways that we could save money, that we could do things faster or, excuse me, or whatever you can do to help your division or your company. And then people see you as a leader. And I also, I, uh, you know, I think Wanda uh, of you and I both would agree that when we try to continue to surround ourselves with, stronger and smarter people you know we look even better a lot of people think oh no i'm gonna look you know i'm gonna look dumb because all these smart no you look better because you had the foresight to find strong people and so you have confidence you show your confidence when you're able to do that and when you do that you talk about that and you get the people that are in positions higher than you to see that you have that vision then they start to believe in you and along the path you go
1: All right, Glenn, one of my favorite ways of ending this podcast is to ask you what takes you out of your comfort zone. Given that you've done so many things out of your comfort zone today, what
2: takes you out of your comfort zone? Hmm. You know, I um, I, I, I work real hard. (laughs) Sorry. I work real hard at getting out of my comfort zone, like I purposefully do that. I'll give you one quick example. Um, I was with Richard Branson, spoke to him earlier, and with John Elway, two very good friends of mine. And I said, I'm going to do this show called Undercover Billionaire. I'm going to go out with no money, no contacts, and I'm going to go and try to rebuild a business. What do you think? And they were interviewed on the show, but they actually they cut them out, believe it or not. And uh, they both said, heck no, I would never want to do that. I mean, you're, the likelihood of you failing and the whole world seeing that is very high. Why in the world would Glenn want to do that? And I thought, I wonder why I feel it's a good idea to challenge myself at an older age, you know, compared to being young. And I thought, I think the reason I feel that way was cancer. I had gotten cancer and I, you know, in the beginning they said it's a 50-50 shot. And I remember I used to tell myself, I don't ever want to relive 2007 and 8 again. But when cancer hit, I was like, what I would do to relive it, to fight through that again? And so when I did the show, halfway through the show, when I realized I probably was going to fail and probably the whole world would watch me fail, did I realize I was wrong? They were right. I got to quit somehow if I can get out of this before it's made. And that's how life is. They just these little guys telling you, quit, quit, give up. And when you don't give up, when you do challenge yourself, when you do get out of your comfort zone, the pride you feel and how you are as a person, it it helps you grow. And that was one of the most proud moments of my life when I didn't give up. And so push yourself beyond your comfort zone and you will, you know, be able to stand a lot taller. Wow.
1: What a fabulous story. My last question, I think I've got a minute and a half for you to answer it. Why did you call the book Integrity?
2: Well, you know, again, I I had a lot of people that say, oh, you're lucky or you got the Midas touch and I've got great clouds around me and all these things. And, and so in my goal of helping others has been, again, I lead with my flaws, right? Okay. Failed fourth grade at a child. Why? Because I want other people to realize that they can do it. You cannot do it. You cannot grow and maintain unless you do it with honesty, unless you do it with integrity, unless you really surround yourself with knowing that what you do is truthful. And you, And by the way, and that with the middle of the book, grit is not yeah. easy. It's hard to do that constantly.
1: All right. Lynn Stearns, what a great story. What a fabulous book. Integrity, huge inspiration. I think every chapter title is a tease for what's coming next. There's much there for anybody. I
2: really appreciate you being a guest. It's been a fabulous conversation. Well, thank you, Wanda. You're amazing. I appreciate this. Thank you so much.
1: Welcome. Um, and join us next week for more wisdom in getting out of your comfort zone.